look, we all have to live. We all have to eat. I'm not telling people to be, you know, throw, throw caution to the wind, but at the same time, you also have to take action. If you want to take massive action, or if you want to actually do this, you have to take massive action. Eventually, you're going to have to make a decision. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. How about you? Great. Well, as of this recording, we have just returned from Nashville, where we were at the Funnel Hacking Live conference. And I don't know about you, but it was like drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I was totally, we both were drinking that Kool-Aid real Mm -hmm. hard. Um, It was, (laughs) it was, I think the thing, you know, that got me when we went there that was so surprising in a good way was seeing that everybody there wanted to, they all had a story, a really good story, um, which I've now learned as part of the framework, but they all have a really great story of wanting to make an impact and change lives. And I thought I was going to go there and learn about, you know, funnels and how people use them in their businesses. I don't even know if we really, we did talk about that a little bit, but so much Mm -hmm. of the event was focused around making an impact and how people are changing entrepreneurship and how people are changing lives. And, um, you know, that resonates so much with us and what we do. Yeah. And so for those of you who are listening, who may not know, so Funnel Hacking Live is an annual, it's a marketing conference, essentially, that's put on by Russell Brunson and the ClickFunnels team. And basically, it's a it's an opportunity for entrepreneurs from all over the world, really, to come together and talk about the latest advances in marketing and how to use funnels to really help their customers or our investors, in our case, to really learn what they need to know and to take action to um, get to their goals. And so I think we, we learned so much at the conference about the psychology behind how, um, how funnels work and how they really help people, like you were saying, to, mm-hmm. to reach that goal that they want. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just it right there is to have that reach. I mean, if you have a really amazing product that nobody ever knows about, how can you you know, ever reach people. And that's like, so, you know, critical to changing lives is, you know, people need to know that it even, that that product even exists. And so it was such a great event and, uh, proud to be official click funnels, uh, funnel hacker. Click, yeah, official funnel hacker and part of the click funnels family. So, uh, yeah, excited about that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about today's guest because he is definitely a one that's making an impact yeah. on the world. He's doing so much and he had such humble beginnings. Todd Dexheimer, he's the CEO of Venture D Properties and he's also the host of a popular podcast that's got over 200 episodes now. It's called Pillars of Wealth Creation. And Todd has a really unique story. You know, he started out as a high school teacher and then realized that it wasn't quite the right fit for him and then got into um, real estate, first sort of dabbling and sort of getting into it um, little by little, and then 
really scaling his portfolio over the last 10 years to now over $35 million in real estate assets, which is such an incredible journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I loved that he had shared with us kind of his three takeaways from his Pillars of Wealth Creation podcast, where, you know, he's heard you know, over 200 guests talk again and again about their experiences and how they've, you know, generated so much wealth over the years. And uh, it was interesting to hear that. It's always interesting because I'm such a believer of when you hear a pattern and when you hear people say things over and over again, uh, and you can condense it down into the top three, it's it's almost like a, a, you know, a no brainer that if you follow that strategy that, you know, you could get to the same uh, result as well. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, him talking about pushing his kids, uh, was so interesting because I am totally the helicopter mom, totally guilty of that. I go to bed at night feeling guilty. <laughs> um, and so it was so good to hear him talk about how he pushes his kids, uh, you know, in different, um, areas of life. And I think that is, um, you know, so applicable to becoming an adult and in business and being able to expand your horizons and not be afraid of taking a little bit of risk. So great episode. Yeah. So definitely listen out for that. Todd's pillars of wealth creation and also how he's making an impact. Here it is. Enjoy this episode with Todd Dexheimer. Todd, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on. Great. We're excited to jump into this conversation. Absolutely. Now, Todd, these days you own over $35 million in real estate assets, which is incredible. And that includes 550 multifamily units and 25,000 square feet of office and retail across multiple states. Now that's hugely impressive and we'll definitely get into all of that and how you've been able to build such an impressive portfolio. But to start, take us back to the beginning before you had ever invested a single dime into real estate, before you even knew that this whole real estate investing thing was a thing. You know, back then you were <laughs> teaching high school. Is that right? Yeah, I was a high school and middle school industrial technology teacher. So I was teaching like, you know, wood shop and metals and, you know, the <laughs> architecture and all that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, so some fun, definitely. But it was very quickly, actually, my teaching career that I was like, ah, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up because I realized <laughs> it just wasn't quite for me. There was some stuff I loved about it. And then there was some of the other stuff. And and so you were, how long were you teaching before you had this realization that maybe this wasn't a lifetime career for you? I don't know, like three days. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It was, Me too. <laughs> it was pretty quick. It was like, it would have been within my first two years of teaching for sure. Uh, because I remember sitting in, in our first house that my wife and I lived in and and I remember sitting there and saying that to her, like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. This isn't it. Mm. And I think it was in the, my first year of teaching, quite frankly. Wow. So you had gone to school to become a teacher and you start, You got your first job as a teacher. You're, you're a few days in, maybe your first year in, you're like, wait a second, this isn't <laughs> the right fit for me. So right. then, then what? Were you thinking, like, maybe I'll find a different job or teach somewhere else, teach something different? 
What were you thinking at that point? Yeah. So, you know, I looked at potentially like going back to school. I thought I'm actually about becoming a doctor for a little while. And, mm. but I was, I, I had read a lot of entrepreneurial books and, and when, you know, when, so I, I graduated in the winter. So I had winter until the next school year to, you know, substitute teach. So I did a substitute teaching. When you substitute teach, you're like a babysitter, right? So I'd sit there and I'd read entrepreneurial books. I read a lot of like the Rich Dad Poor Dad series and other stuff while I was substitute teaching and really enjoyed those. And so as I'm kind of like exploring different things, I'm reading these books. I'm getting more and more interested in that. And started reading some real estate books. And once I hit on the real estate books, I'm going, this is something I think I could do. Like this had already a construction background. Uh, so it kind of made a lot of sense to me. I understood numbers. Uh, so that made a lot of sense. So, so that's kind of, I, I think, really what set me to go, you know, maybe I won't go back to school and become a doctor. I'll, I'll start seeing if I can do this. And as I kind of read more and more and just got more involved in it, I just got more, more and more passionate about it and like obsessed about it. And eventually just became like, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. Tell us about how, like, what was the first thing that you did? So you read all the books and yeah. you're like, okay, this is something I can do. Tell us about the first deal that you did. Yeah. So the first deal. So I, so let, let me like tell people, look, it didn't happen overnight. Right. So yeah. this is like a whole process. And, and I started becoming really obsessed in like 2007 and, and I didn't buy my first property until summer of 2008. I had three properties pretty much all at once. I bought one for my wife and I to live in that we house. I don't know what you call it. We, we renovated it. It was a foreclosure. We renovated. Is that house hacking? I don't know what people, people call, I don't, I don't know those terms. <laughs> what the kids uh, call it Yeah, these what days. the kids call it these days. <laughs> uh, but so, so I bought this, we bought this foreclosure and, and we ended up buying a, another foreclosure to rent. So we fixed that up and then we bought another property with a partner to renovate and flip. So we bought like, like I said, we bought like three at one time. And just dove right in. And no what market. market was this? This was in uh, Minneapolis, Twin Cities area. Okay. okay. So it was, you know, right during the foreclosure crisis. So it was a great time to get into it, but a terrible time, right? I mean, depends on who you, who you ask. Everybody just got foreclosed on. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's losing their properties. Property values are plummeting. You would buy a property for 60K. You'd be all in for, let's call it 100K. And you'd think, oh, I got $20,000, $30,000 worth of equity, $50,000 worth of equity. And before you like could blink, it was all of a sudden you had like a dollar worth of equity. And now all of a sudden you're negative $20,000 of equity. Mm -hmm. So uh, you had to really... Uh, move fast and you had to uh, establish good cash flow right away because properties were plummeting in value. Mm -hmm, it, was, mm -hmm. it was definitely a different time and financing was extremely tough too. And that, that was definitely a challenge throughout kind of my early days was getting the money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So did you guys have money saved already at that point or like, how did, how did you do those first deals? Cause I know for some people, you know, that's always like the hurdle, right? They're always right. like, well, I don't have any money. Like, how do I do this? And like, you know, you don't, as we know now, looking backwards, we know you don't need to have the money to get into the deals, but tell us a little bit about that. So we had a, a, about $20,000. Okay. And uh, <laughs> you're like, wait a uh, we, yeah, we had like twenty thousand dollars saved up, maybe thirty. Okay. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but not, not very much. And my wife, bless her, for 
allowing me to spend every last penny of ours because that's what happened. We bought our first house with an FHA 203K loan, which allowed us to get into it for really cheap. And then it allows us to do the construction for cheap. I had contractor contacts that allowed me to basically do that for, for a good price and, and get into it for very, very little money out of my pocket. And then we bought that rental and, you know, basically used every last penny to buy that rental. Uh, and the flip, I partnered with a guy. So with that flip, that was none of my own money either. So I was just able to get in there and squeeze my way in and figure out different ways to, to get in the door. And, and, and so with that rental, then I met a guy who said, Hey, let's refinance this thing. We refinanced it and I was able to pull every last penny out of it. Plus another like 10, $15,000 to be able to roll with and do more deals. So the first to the second home, how did you like, so you bought the first home for you to live in like that. A lot of people do that. That makes sense. It's like easy for people to understand. What was the time frame that you bought the first, second and third house? Was that within a few months, within a year? Within a few weeks. Within a few weeks. Yeah. So how, maybe, was maybe it, days. I mean, it was, it was like, bam, 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 bam. So do you think it was because you had read all of these like books and you were like, I was pretty so confident? obsessed. Yeah. You were I just was like, very this confident is- from, June through August, when I finally bought these properties, I was like going to see like 20 properties a day. And I remember driving around still with like Carlton sheets in the background and, and the cassette tape and, you know, like looking for these properties. And, and so it wasn't like, hey, these things just came. Yeah. One day. Yeah. Well, it, it ended up happening that way. But I mean, it was, it was a lot of work beforehand. Yeah. And what were you looking for when you were looking at all these different properties? Half the time I didn't even know. I don't think you know when you first begin, you know, but yeah, I, I, honestly, number one is I wanted a rental property and I wanted something that I could build equity. Uh, I, I worked my way through college working remodeling construction. So I knew I could do it. I knew I could hire people to do it. I knew the cost. So when somebody would try to tell me it's going to be X price. And I knew like, look, this, this is going to take you six hours. I knew the price. So it's yeah. really easy for me to kind of establish that. And so I was looking for dumps. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for something that I thought I could build a bunch of equity and at least whether the market went down another 20, 30 K, at least I'd be a break even type of thing. And then cash flow. Like I wanted cash flow. And so the timing was great for cash flow because you were able to buy a single family house and be all in for, you know, 80 grand or a hundred grand and you could rent that out for 1400 bucks a month. It's crazy. So, so yeah, it's crazy. And you guys are in California. So you're, yeah. You're mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you need it. But yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. In California, it's like you add one more zero to the purchase price and take away one more zero for like the rental price. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so during this time, so you had these three properties and you were still teaching. This was your first year of teaching, right? No, it wasn't my first year of teaching. So I started teaching in 2000. So it would have been my third year, maybe. Okay. Gotcha. So you were into it. So, but you were still working your full-time job and you were doing this on the side. Yes. 
And was that manageable or did you find that, like, how much time were you putting into the real estate? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was manageable. I'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning I'd teach, I'd teach till, you know, three or whatever I'd get off of teaching and I'd go to these properties and I would work until two o'clock in the morning and then do it again. Mm-hmm, the next mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Plenty of time. Yeah. Uh, weekends and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't tell you this, we had our first uh, child kind of during a lot of this chaos. So um, <laughs> she was born, uh, I guess it would have been slightly after we started, but kind of in this whole chaos of, of just getting established, working full time still. Yeah. And so you were doing this round the clock, like what kept you going? Like, what was that vision? You were like, this is what I'm going for. And this is what I want in the long term that makes this grind worth it. Yeah. I mean, I could see for, first of all, I could see the value in it. I could see, you know, what it was able to, to provide me in the future. And second of all, I just loved it. Like every day was fantastic. Even though I was putting all these <laughs> hours, it was just it, every day was, a, I, that's what I looked forward to. I was just obsessed with, it. I loved it. And so I think that was a big driver I really, really enjoyed it. And then the second thing is I saw what it was creating and I, I understood what could be very early on. And, and so I wanted to establish that. And it honestly didn't take too long to where I was able to quit my job. As a teacher, I know this might surprise people, but you don't make a lot of money. So <laughs> so was that your plan? So your plan was to um, get all these properties. Were you planning on getting a whole bunch of these small properties and then you wouldn't have to work? Was that the idea? You know, that's a long time ago. I, I can't, I, I know like for me it was, I wasn't like in a hurry necessarily quit, but yeah, I knew eventually I was going to be done. Originally the goal was just to buy big apartment buildings, but I didn't know how to do it. And so houses mm. came naturally. Like I remember sitting in a, at a, well, first of all, I read a book by Ken McElroy and I was like, oh, apartments, they make a lot of sense, you know? And then I'm going, geez, I, I don't have like $2 million to buy this apartment, like $5 million to buy this apartment. Like, I, I can't do that. You know, so I was young. I had no connections. I didn't know how to do stuff like that. So single family houses made sense. I had $20,000. There's a lot more education. I would think back, even back then, 2008, there wasn't nearly as much education. So, um, so yeah, it was just a, a way to do it. I think more than anything. Mm-hmm. So tell us where you're at right now. I mean, I, obviously you're not still at three houses. You're, you've, you know, scaled a bunch. And yeah. I'm really curious to hear about how you went from the three homes into how many flips have you done? Like over a hundred and fifty, something like that. Yeah. So I mean, the, look, those houses were a great start, and I continued to buy a bunch of houses and kind of had to figure out ways to get creative to continue to buy real estate. And part of that yeah. was flipping, being able being able to flip. I never really wanted to become a flipper. I actually kind of was forced to be a flipper in order to buy. Uh, mm. rental properties. And, mm-hmm. and I just was good at the flipping. So I got like caught up into, it. I would have rather, and, and I wish I would have done it earlier, but you know, whatever I worked what I did, but mm-hmm. um, I just got stuck in that flip uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but through that, I built my rental portfolio up. I continued to buy properties. I at one time had a portfolio of nearly a hundred, one to four family properties. I've sold since oh quite a few since, 
Um, oh, I so I should, one's a four family and I had a small multi, like a 15 unit multifamily as well. So I've since sold some. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You have this fast. portfolio of a hundred. <laughs> no, no, no. I just want to pause yeah, there yeah. for a second. Cause I, I think some people will hear that and say, oh, you had a hundred of these houses. Why not just hold them forever? Right. Couldn't that just be your retirement plan? You just hold that and you cash flow on those. Why, why sell or why try to get into apartments? Um, Good question. And, and the answer is yes, I could have, I could have just stopped. I could have said a hundred is enough or just bought like a couple every year or just continue to buy. Could have done that and probably would have been successful. And, but there's a couple of problems with it. First of all, houses are hard to scale. There's pain points with single family with one to four family properties. There's pain points. So you have to get beyond those pain points. And, and what I mean by that is you've got times where we start, have to start hiring people, but it doesn't make any sense to hire. So there's those pain points. And I was at some of those pain points. Um, and then it was, you know, what do I really want to achieve? Am I just trying to sit on the beach myself and, and serve myself? Or am I trying to establish something that's powerful, that's going to serve a lot of other people and, and really make a mm -hmm. difference in the world? And that's what I decided I wanted to do. It was, it was more than just me that I wanted to serve. It was, I wanted to try to make a real impact and real difference. So I saw that as I need to take a different route and multifamily or even larger commercial, but uh, beyond single family, small multifamily was, was kind of the answer. Mm -hmm. I love that because I think for me too, when I really started to dig and dig and dig and ask myself, well, why? you know, why, what am I trying to get to? Is it to, you know, get to a point where I can just sit at home all day with my kids and just be a house mom? Is it so that I can have enough money to sit on a beach somewhere and never do anything ever again? And the further I dug, the more I realized that it was beyond just me and that it was, you know, that I wanted to be able to use the skills that I had to be able to help other people. And yeah. is so much of what drew Annie and I together to create good egg investments. Um, and I think it's just a really interesting process because I think on the onset, a lot of people are thinking about just themselves and, you know, how can I get myself out of this rut? And then, and then once you say, okay, well, let's say for a moment that I did have all of that and then what, you know, and, you know, for us and, you know, to be able to wake up every morning and know that we're, you know, having an impact, not only in our immediate family's life, but, you know, everybody that we touch, you know, other right. people's lives that we touch, the communities that we're investing in, the renters, the tenants, um, you know, and the property management teams. And I mean, it's just so it's exponential and it's just so much more satisfying to wake up in the morning and, you know, feel like you're having an impact it, It's just, it's just everything for us. So, yeah, I agree. And look, there, there's no right or wrong answer. Look, if you mm -hmm. just want to build a portfolio and sit on the beach after you're done or whatever you want to do, I and mean, that's that's fine. That's up to you. But it's got to be what's what drives you, right? You can't you can't buy somebody else's dream. You have to have your own. We'll get back to our conversation with Todd in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. 
We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now... Back to our chat with Todd Dexheimer. So tell us about Pillars of Wealth Creation. What is it? Why did you create it? And uh, what have you learned from, from having that around? <laughs> it, it's a, Pillars of Wealth Creation. That's a podcast, right? Yeah. So that's my podcast, Pillars of Wealth Creation. It, really, the main purpose was there's a lot of real estate investors out there. I get the same type of uh, questions for people who are real estate investors, and I wanted to help them out. One of the main kind of themes behind the podcast is helping real estate investors actually run their real estate company as a company. As if There's so much more to it than just mm-hmm. buying a deal. We want to mm-hmm. actually continue to establish something, establish a company, put the systems and processes in place and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we kind of focus on more with Pillars of Wealth Creation is establishing a a business with pillars to create wealth that can you know last a lifetime. So I've been doing it for like two and a half years now. It's crazy. I've done. I, I'm think I'm releasing episode 250 pretty soon. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my wow. gosh! And I know that on every episode you ask uh, you ask your guests what they think the pillars of wealth creation are. Yep. And so, have you seen any common themes across all these conversations you've had? Yeah. So I ask, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? I do get a decent amount of, of common themes. Actually, for episode 100, I believe I kind of said, I, I wrote down what everybody's answers were, what some of the underlying themes were. And I lumped them into, I can't remember what it was, maybe 12 or 15 different things. And I think if I did the same thing and I went through episodes, you know, 100 all the way through today, I would have probably not expand that list too much. It's all kind of the same thing. So yeah, you see a lot of the same, you know, look, you've got to get educated and have, have that knowledge really continue to always be curious and grow. And, and so that's really big. I think the systems and processes people talk about a lot, definitely. The other, there's, there's so many, I guess, different things that people will say. People will also take it a different way. So when you talk about pillars, they're talking about, you know, what are the things that you, you invest in? So they'll talk about real estate and businesses and income and stuff like that. So I get, I get various answers, but a lot of the same themes. I think that the two common ones are that, you know, that continual education and probably the other one would be networking is the, the other 
kind of big, big one that people say, look, establish your networks, grow them. Family is a big one too. A lot of people will talk about, look, you need to have strong connections with your friends and family and make that a priority in your life. That's the number one wealth uh, that you can ever have. Absolutely. And I can imagine that, you know, as you've scaled from three, the three homes that you started with now to apartments and millions upon millions of dollars in real estate assets, you know, there are points when you stop to think, oh, this is kind of hard. You know, this, I'm learning something new. I got to grind through this. And so to have that network, that tribe around you, to help you with those challenges and also to know your why, which for many people is their family and being able to have that flexibility and that time to spend with their family is so important to get you through all those hurdles along the way. So you can really realize that vision that you are aiming for. Yeah. My, my favorite, you know, saying, and I, and I don't, I should actually get it down to be established, but it's the, the Mike, Mike Tyson quote where he says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's just so true in business. I mean, you guys have probably experienced it as well. You just like, there's times where you're like, oh my gosh, it would have been a lot easier just a teacher, yeah. right? I got this cushy, not, not saying there's not difficulties, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, there's, there's some challenges that happen and, and they're all on you and you've got to figure out the ways around it. And I mean, building networks is definitely huge and having supportive people around you is, is extremely, extremely valuable, but uh, it's kind of a, you know, being an entrepreneur is a, still a lonely business. Uh, so you got plenty of punches along the way and just gotta, <laughs> you just got to keep on pushing. I love that. I want to shift for uh, a minute and talk about your family. Yeah. So you mentioned way back when was the birth of your daughter. How old is she now? She's 10 years old, almost 11. Wow. And do you have, how many kids do you have? I have two kids. So I've got a a, a daughter that's the the 10, Uh almost 11 year old. Then I got a son who's six coming, coming up to seven. So they're a lot of fun. They're, yeah, they're, they're uh, great. I mean, they're definitely yeah. a big part of this business, uh, you know, is, is just, it's, it's a joy to have this business and have them. And, you know, some of the things I really look forward to is having them continue to grow and see the business continue to grow and maybe, maybe some of the pains that come along the way, but also the successes that come along the way and, and hopefully be able to learn from that. And, you know, I, I think it's just a positive influence on them to continue to do that we're looking at my wife potentially uh, starting her own business too. And so I think that would be really cool as well. And so uh, it, it's just a joy. Like my kids are great. I love them. Everybody loves their own kids. So uh, <laughs> hopefully at least. Uh, <laughs> so tell us what are some things that you've um, implemented in your home family life in, um, you know, teaching your kids about either real estate investing or, you know, financial related matters. We're really big into, um, you know, helping our kids, teaching our kids about the different things that we do um, as far as it relates to like syndications and rental properties and things like that. And so talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. And we need to continue to do like a better job sometimes like, oh man, I do, there's like learning opportunities that I didn't take advantage of, but I am always kind of talking to my kids about stuff. I try to relate to things, you know, when we, we talk about 
uh, rental properties and how the tenants are paying the rent. And, and we even we talk about how you got to treat them with respect and fairly. So I try to, you know, not only implement like the money making, but I also want them to understand like it's not just about the money. It's also about the ethics behind it. It's about how you act as a person and a human being uh, as well. So I think that that's really important as well uh, but you know right now like for for us uh, our kids have certain certain chores they just have to do uh, mm-hmm. but then they also have other jobs that we'll pay them for and they have to then separate their money into a couple different buckets a give a spend and a save as it's very cute because my daughter doesn't spend anything because she wants to start her own candy shop uh, so she's mm-hmm. a budding entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I think one of the things I do isn't necessarily financial, but I think it relates to it is we try to just push our kids boundaries, right? We try to make them uncomfortable. So we want to do things that are going to, you know, where, where I think a lot of kids will maybe never experience. So, you know, we, we will just push them a little bit farther all, all the time. And so those, those are some things that we try to do. We can always improve, right? But is there any one thing in particular? I'm curious. What is the uncomfortable thing that maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's man, it's hard hard to just pop one off the top of my head. But I mean, we, you know, look, we do downhill skiing with the kids, and if uh-huh. they're scared to go down a run, and I know it's not going to kill them, I'm going to make them go down the, the the ski run. And yeah, almost always, sometimes I get you know yelled at and told that was the worst thing they've ever done. But usually <laughs> at the end, it's that was really fun. Let's do it again. Right. Um, so it's like something like that, or, you know, like we'll, we'll go out, we hike, uh, we like to hike and camp. And so we will go on like a, uh, like an eight mile hike with our kids. Mm-hmm. We didn't, when my son was four years old, we're, we're like pushing him to go on like six, seven yeah. mile hikes. Most of his friends can hike for a quarter of a mile before they right. want to get picked up. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't pick my kids up. Like, yeah. well, you're hiking. Like we're hiking. Yeah. Oh, I want, yeah. I want to get picked up okay, great. Well, let's get back and then I'll pick you up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So just like make them uncomfortable. I, I, yeah, I, I, there's nothing like crazy special that I do, but you know, here's, here's an example. I mean, we were, we were camping this summer and we were camping with my family and I can remember as a kid, we would get too close to the the edge and, and I'm talking like 30 feet away. And my parents would be like, Oh, don't go any closer. I allow my kids to go right to the edge. And I'm not stupid. Like I'm not, if it's a dangerous edge and I know they're going to slip and fall, like, yeah, we're not going to, but if it's a sound solid edge, they're going to go right to the edge and they're going to peek over it and they're going to lay down and like look over and see the water, whatever's on the other side of that edge. Like I'm going to push, allow them to do stuff like that. Not be careless and reckless, but allow them to experience life and um, make sure they're not just scared of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. I some, mean, somebody's takes- going to like e- email me with hate mail and say, say they like, no. whatever. No, I love, I love that because I think that there's so much of like this helicopter parenting is what they call it. And I'm definitely guilty of that. And we're all guilty. Um, 
I, I would love to be able to let go a little bit more. Yeah. And because I do know that when my kids get older, that if I keep doing that, that they are going to live in this world of like, oh gosh, you know, like what if I go do too close to the edge or what if I do this? I'm scared. And, and that can translate into their personal life. It can translate into their life and business and what not wanting to take risks. And, you know, in business, taking, being able to, you know, feel confident as an entrepreneur to take risks is certainly something you need to be able to do. And so I yeah. love that. I, I need to be able to let go a little bit more and do that. So, so if we got like 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. So yeah. This yes. summer we were up near the Canadian border and it's a beautiful area, by the way, if anybody wants to go up there right off Lake Superior, it's an amazing area, but my brother lives up there and, and he's, there's this river that we hiked through. So he says, well, there's this river. You want to do it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. Can my kids do it? He's like, ah, you know, I mean, maybe your kids could. Yeah, maybe. So I said, all right, let's do it. So we went and we, uh, we bought some water shoes because we didn't have any. So we bought some stuff for us to be able to wear through the river. And we hiked this river. And it's like, you know, not a crazy stream, but it's, it's, there's times where it's up on my kids. It's probably just over deep or wading through it. It's some good rapids to it. And there's five waterfalls that we actually had to rock climb. And wow. my kids did it with me and my wife and my brother. And it was just really cool to watch them experience this. And I mean, there was not like they were massive waterfalls, but there were some waterfalls that were probably 10 feet tall that they had to mm -hmm. rock climb up. And, wow. You know, of course, I'm at the bottom waiting them to potentially fall. Uh -huh. um, and my brother's up at the top, you know, helping them if they need, but it was, you know, instructions to him, like, look, don't touch them unless you see there's danger, but you know, right. and, and that's, that's how we do it. So that was just that was really cool. We got done. I'm just like, that was awesome. And my kids loved it. But so cool. I love what that. an incredible sense of accomplishment that your kids must have felt. I mean, to be able to have that chance to face a challenge like that and to be able to do it themselves is such is so powerful for them so early in life. Yeah. And they just learned to like, like do things like look at it. We can do it. Like we can push through it. And I think that really hopefully relates to business and their careers yeah. as they go and say, and Oh yeah, you know, like adversity is no big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. love that. All right, should we jump into our impact round? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So we're gonna ask three questions about investing for good. So the first question is: What is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Um, well, I think I've probably talked about it already, but uh, just allows me to have that time freedom flexibility. I think it's not even that I have like a bunch of extra time. I probably put in more hours uh, a week than most people that have a job, but it allows mm -hmm. that flexibility. So every single morning, unless I'm traveling uh, out of state, but every single morning I, I wake my kids up in the morning and I, you know, make sure they get ready for, for school and I see them off to the bus. So that's really cool. I love doing that. I, I'm typically the first one they see when they get home as well. And um, so that's great. I'm able to just be flexible. So I'm able to take my kids to their sporting events and be there for them. And you know what? When they go to bed, then I put in a couple extra hours of work. I wake up a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, might 
and there's downtime during the week, put in a couple extra hours, but it, I've got that flexibility. So it's really allowed for that. I think that's been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The flexibility part of it for me is huge yeah. to be able to take calls when it works for me and, you know, move things around if I have to, and yeah. I don't have to ask anyone if I can do that. I just do it because it's what, what I can do. Yeah. I'm curious out of all the people that you've spoken to, is there a point at which you realize that you can go from, you know, a W-2 to having this as a side hustle to ha- doing this full time? Because I talk with so many investors all the time and I get that question a lot. Like, well, how do, when, how do I know when I can leave my job? Like, is, and it's kind of a hard thing to answer because it's different for everyone. You know, yeah. like some people may need, feel like they need to have a certain amount of money coming in already or like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And you've got different responsibilities, right? If you have kids, I mean, obviously you've got to be able to feed your kids, right? If it's just you or maybe you and your you know spouse, well, you're pretty, pretty resilient as, especially as grown adults. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think there's different responsibilities, different aspects in life that you've got to be more cautious a little bit than Mm -hmm. others. So if you're young and I mean, do it whenever you can do it right away. Um, but, and there's different reasons to maybe keep that job too. I mean, are, are Mm -hmm. you, are you making a really, really good income where it makes sense to continue that income and build net worth. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so really it is a hard question. There's no, I think magic answer, but the easiest, the easiest answer is, well, once you can replace your, your earned income or once you can, um, basically get enough income to live on, mm-hmm. then, it, then you have to, then you should consider, okay, is it now mm-hmm. time or why? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the easiest way is replace your income. Yeah. I think also when you see that there's like a proven system that is starting to work, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, like I've done 10 flips and I've made X dollars. And even though I haven't replaced my income from those 10 flips, like I see, you know, a pattern and imagine what I could do if I did this full time. Right. If I went full time, I've already got it down. Now, if I went full time, I would far exceed my mm-hmm. income. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. a good point. Like you don't right. necessarily have to replace the income, but if you see mm-hmm. the trajectory that you can, um, look, we all have to live. We all have to eat. Right. I'm not telling people to be, you know, throw, throw caution to the wind, but at the same time, you also have to take action. If you want to take massive action, right. or if you want to actually do this, you have to take massive action. Eventually you're going to have to make a decision. Right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So second question is investing in others. So what is one investing hack or one investing secret that you might be able to share with our audience that will help them sort of catapult their investing journey and get them to where they're trying to go faster? What's one thing they can invest in? Or what's like one like investment hack or strategy that like maybe you wish you knew, like after all these years, like 10 plus years of investing, is there one thing that like you might be able to share that is like, ah, I wish I knew that, you know, 10 years ago? Uh, You know, there's, there's, I would say the one thing, and this is something I did know, but I I didn't end up doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would say the one thing that works really, really well is just that, that uh, I think they do call this house hacking. Uh, when mm-hmm. you buy a house and you have a tenant living in the other unit or maybe the in-law suite. So I think that is is huge as far as getting started. It not only it saves you a ton of money, but uh, it allows you to get your first rental property. 
the one thing I would caution people is just make sure it can cash flow, especially mm-hmm. if you're buying a duplex. Like, does it actually make you money when you move mm-hmm. out? Mm-hmm. Because you're eventually mm-hmm. going to want to move, right? Life is going to eventually move on. And so you do want to make sure it financially makes sense. Mm-hmm. The other one is what I did, and I bought properties that were a wreck, outdated, and uh, renovated them, and then sold them and went on to the next one. And you, you mm-hmm. can do that twice every five years, not pay any taxes on it. Love that. That's That last one is a really good one that I don't think a lot of people think about. I actually read that in a Facebook group the other day and someone had asked like, what's the best way to you know grow my wealth while buying a primary home? And somebody that had suggested works. that. So yeah. yeah. It works um, so well. We were able to do that several times. And like I said, now uh, we live in a pretty nice house and, uh, and, and our mortgage is almost nothing. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Last one is investing in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing in your investments that are helping to make the world a better place? Um, man, there's, I guess there's several. Can I mention more than one? Absolutely. All right. (laughs) Um, So, so a couple things. I mean, it's all about trying to, trying to provide value for other people. So my my podcast obviously provides value for other people. I've got a a real estate conference in the Twin Cities that I, that I host that hopefully provides uh, good value for other people. So I think that's really important, just trying to provide education and value. I do do coaching as well. Uh, I know you guys do as, as well, and that and that really helps provide value for other people. And then the, mm-hmm. the other thing is, you know, volunteering for organizations that I believe in. So my church, giving to the church and, and volunteering for our church, junior achievement, volunteering, giving to them, you know, just organizations that I think are are really worthy for me to believe, or you know, that they do a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. There's so many yeah. out there. So you eventually, you just have to pick like the ones you're most passionate about. Um, but just be able to give other people, you know, opportunities that maybe they don't have that, that you were blessed with, I think is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what I look at it as. And, and I really like uh, educational, like I like junior achievement because it really, helps educate people that otherwise wouldn't really know what's out there. And Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Yeah. And that goes back to like the flexibility, like you were saying of what your investments allow you to do. You know, if you're working a regular W2, you know, you don't have the bandwidth, like I think just physically and mentally to go out there and think about how can I give more? I mean, you can't, some people do, and, and that does happen. But I feel like being an entrepreneur really allows you to have that flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate, I'm going to commit like two hours a week. And you can sort of fit that into your schedule in a way that works for you. Um, So I love that. Well, Todd, you are pretty much the epitome of investing (laughs) for good, you know, taking your, your experience and sharing that knowledge with others, empowering other people to get into it and also investing your time and your money into furthering, um, the, the community around you as well. Um, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to learn more. So Todd, what's the best place that people can go to learn more about all that you're doing and connect with you? Yeah, a couple of ways. Uh, so my, my main website's VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com. I, and there I've got like a, a free report people can download. It's it's a lot of good information about multifamily, about uh, syndication, kind of 
kind of put together and they can definitely check out what we got going on on that website. Then there's my podcast pillars of wealth creation. They can definitely go on there. And then I got two more places. So bear with me. I've got venture or sorry, I've got uh, coach with Dex. So if they want any information on that, they can definitely go there. And the last thing is I've got a real estate conference coming up and that's in April 24th and 25th in Minneapolis. And I would love to have people there. It's going to be an amazing conference. Uh, uh, it was fantastic last year. I got nothing but awesome reviews. And so I'd love to have people there. They can go out onto our website, check out uh, information to get more information on it and learn what it's all about. It's nreconference.com, nreconference.com. It's the North Star Real Estate Conference. Love to have people there. And uh, right now we got an early bird discount. They can just type in early bird. I know that was a lot. Cool. You'll put it on the show Perfect. notes. Though, You're right? doing a- <laughs> yes, absolutely. We'll put all of that in the show notes so everybody can learn more and definitely check out Todd's podcast. It is fantastic. And um, Todd's conference as well. All right, Ted, Todd, Ted, Todd <laughs> Dexheimer, CEO of Venture D Properties and host of the Pillars of Wealth Creation podcast. Todd, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, thank you. I mean, a lot of fun and I really appreciate what both of you are doing. And I hear only great things about you, by the way, from everybody around. Everybody knows who you are and thinks the world of you. So you guys are doing fantastic things. Oh, thank you. Really love watching you guys grow and evolve. And so it's, it's been really fun. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.